0: Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church, and we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. We are going to be talking this evening about a fairly uh, uncomfortable topic But I think it is a necessary topic, and one that I have actually been asked to preach, I think, in every congregation I have ever been a part of. And one of the reasons I've been asked to preach on this topic is because we've had uh, statistically, although not typically admitted, we have a problem in the church. The problem in the church with the issue of pornography. And so this is one of those kind of touchy topics because of the sensitive nature of it and because of the private nature of this type of sin. And we, I think, in a lot of ways try to excuse it away and act like it's not a problem. But just statistically speaking, both in the world and in the church, the, the numbers don't support the claim that it's not a problem in our churches. It is, and it's something we need to talk about, and it's something we need to deal with. I want to prove to you first that it's a problem, and then I'm going to give you what I think are three very simple steps that need to be taken by anybody who has found themselves either uh, to the point of being an addict with pornography or even just someone who has has, uh, played with it. Uh, It is something that needs to be talked about and handled, and these are three steps that need to be taken. So we'll jump straight into what I think are some pretty startling statistics. These are fairly well-known statistics. Twelve percent of the websites on the Internet are pornographic. Uh, This number is somewhat outdated by several years, but at the time this was was put together, 24.6 million websites on the internet that are pornographic. Every second, over $3,000 is being spent on pornography in our world, and 28,000 internet users are using, are or, or, or viewing pornography. 40 million Americans are regular visitors to pornographic websites, which means one in three uh, pornographic website viewers are actually women uh, We tend to as a culture view this as a male's problem But it really is not so, uh, 70% of men aged 16 to 24 Visit pornographic sites in a typical month That is a really high percentage Is it not? 70% of men and then you couple that with what, uh, seeing that one in three of the viewers are actually women. You can get an idea of just how rampant the problem really is. 2.5 billion emails are sent per day that are pornographic in nature. That is, I think that says 8%. I can't see 5%. It's a number percent. Of, uh, of all emails sent are pornographic in nature. Uh, you can imagine. i, I One day, uh, I do this, I actually don't delete my email quite often, uh, but I'll add up. And I I am not an important person at all, and I think I get somewhere around 150 emails a day that aren't blocked. Now, you imagine how many emails I get that are blocked by spam filters or by the filters already built into my computer. I don't know. But 5% of those are pornographic. 25% of all search engine requests are pornography-related. That's 68 million searches a day. Keep going here. 35% of all Internet downloads are pornographic. Uh, 90% of children aged 8 to 16 have viewed pornography. 90%. The largest consumers of pornography are 12 to 17-year-old boys, just to give you an idea. That number does not shift downward for those who grow up in the church, just so you know. 38% of adults say porn is morally acceptable. Uh, There are many, and by humanistic uh, social standards, who have even been taught that it is a marital aid, and they use it as a part of their marriage relationship. Uh, pornographic sites comprise 12% of the internet 70% of men aged 18 to 34 visit in a typical month every second every minute here's the sense of of what we're looking at 25% of search engine requests are for porn one in six women struggle with pornography addictions. it's a problem and not just a male problem it is a human problem in our modern culture and in case we try to lift ourselves above the numbers that's not true 50 percent of christian men and 20 percent of christian women admit that they are addicted to pornography so people who claim to be christians who are willing to admit i imagine the numbers are actually higher than that because there are many because of the shame associated with pornography who are unwilling to admit when they have a problem 34% 34% of female readers of today's Christian women uh, I can't read that online newsletter admitted to intentionally accessing internet pornography. 34% uh, Of or 300 pastors, 54% of them say that they struggle with pornography. So these aren't just Christians sitting in pews, these are the men who get up and they share the gospel with people in a general religious sense, over half of them struggle with this. Pornography use increases marital infidelity by more than 300% chance. That's a lot. 56% of divorce cases involved one or more of the parties being involved in pornography. So over half of the divorce is taking place. Pornography plays a role. You find when you really do some studies of how pornography works, it really is an addiction. It creates chemical changes in the brain, rewiring changes in the brain, dependency issues in the brain. And I'm going to give you a very real example. There was a man several years ago that I was doing some counseling with. He was a fairly new Christian, he had, in college, gotten himself involved in uh, with women. Uh, he had a different woman just about every single weekend. He had gotten himself involved in drinking to such a degree that he actually ended up in, in the hospital with alcohol poisoning more than once. He had gotten himself involved in marijuana and heroin. This man was able to kick alcohol out of his life get rid of all of the smoking of marijuana and the and the heroin use he was able to get rid of every single dependency he had except pornography he couldn't stop we spent months multiple times a week getting together talking through talking about what his habits are, talking about the things he struggled with, talking about the things that led to him looking at pornography, trying to change different aspects of his life to give him a a better chance of overcoming pornography, he could not kick the addiction. And people like to talk about whether it is or is not an addiction, but I'll tell you, any man or woman who has struggled with pornographic usage they will admit it has the exact same effect on their bodies as drugs, if not a greater one. It is truly an addiction, and this is why the pornographic industry works so hard to create accidents. Have you ever noticed that? You can look up the most innocuous phrase whatsoever. You can look up something like Bible because you're searching for a picture of a Bible to use on a bulletin board somewhere in the classroom, and if you're not using some sort of safe search engine, something that will guard your computer, you will have things that come up that were not associated with the Bible whatsoever. And the reason for that is the pornographic industry understands all they have to do to hook you is put the bait in front of you. It is such a temptation for so many people in our overly sexualized culture that if they see one glimpse of it, now it's what's stuck on their mind and they can't get it off. So you have an uh uh-oh accident one time and then another one and then another one and now all of a sudden you're kind of okay with having those accidents. And then after that you might even cleverly look for things that might even possibly bring up some of those accidents. And then eventually, when you're able to get away with that, then you start actually searching for things that you know will bring up such pictures. And those pictures get worse and worse and worse. And the reason that happens that way is because pornography creates chemical changes in your brain that make you seek more. And they rewire your brain to want to see more. And they cause a dependency on your brain where you want to view it more. You feel a need for it. That's how pornography works. And it's why those industries work so hard to put those images in front of your mind in the most unassociated ways. You look at the way that it causes ruin in relationships. I already said 300% increase in infidelity. 56% of divorces cited as a reason. More than 50% of those look for opportunities to engage in illicit relationships. It is unbelievable. Unbelievable what this thing that we won't even admit is a problem is doing in our marriages, in our relationships, and in our churches, and it is going untalked about because it's uncomfortable. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for us to leave this wide open minefield and we allow our children to walk through it. It's dangerous to allow people to have absolutely unhindered access to what is one of the most dangerous things that's ever been put into our homes. Yet we do it because it's what we're told we're supposed to do. I want to encourage you tonight to take a more biblical approach to fighting this battle. And if it's not your personal battle, thank God for that first And secondly, realize it might be the personal battle of the person sitting next to you, behind you, or in front of you. And it is something we need to be willing to discuss and talk about without shame so that we can help people move forward in a life without it. So here are your three uh, possible, let me just kind of move forward with some of this. Alters behaviors. Uh, There's there's a correlation between drug use and pornography use and even depression and Pornography use and how all this all those things are associated Uh, It it just it's a problem For the sake of time, let me let me move forward in our three steps first one is this I Think we as people need to be more intentional with our eyes even if pornography is not your drug of choice, which I hope it isn't, you need to learn to be more intentional with, the, with your eyes and, the, and what you look at and, w- and what you entertain yourself with. Notice over in Job chapter 31, verse 1. This isn't a command, but it is a really good example for us that Job sets forth. We know God was pleased with Job, right? What's God say about Job? There is none like him on the whole earth. Here's one of the things that made Job exceptional. Job 31, verse 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Job's saying, I'm married, which means my eyes are also married. I don't have a right to even look at another woman. Several years ago, I'd gone on a business meeting, or a business trip with a, with a friend of mine and a business that we worked together. And we were meeting with some other people that we worked with from another state, and they were supposedly Christians, went to a, 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 a Church of Christ there where they were, and, and, and it was a dad and his son. And the, and the son, uh, we were sitting there in the hotel lobby, kind of all getting there so that we could go out to dinner. And we're sitting there, and the son's having a coffee or something. And, and he goes, hey, Dad, look over there. And there's a woman. He looked at me. He goes, oh, I forgot you're the preacher. Well, I can look as long as I don't touch, right? No. No. Is he being faithful with his eyes when he does that? No, because looking leads to touching. Admiring the beauty and the, and the beauty in that sense of, of women or men is a problem. We have to guard our eyes if we're going to be blameless before God the way he commends Job. Psalm 119 psalm 119 verse 37 over here it says turn my way my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways my dad back when i was a kid he he printed off this verse in job 31 1 and i think it had this verse attached to it too there was another verse and i can't remember which one but i think it was this one and he put them on the top corners of our television screen know why I did that? Not because we had a problem of looking at porn on our on our television screen that that wasn't an issue in our home. Do you know how much worthless vain stuff we watched on that television screen? Do you you know how much time we wasted? I'm not saying it's a sin to watch the Cosby show or to watch Gilligan's Island or to watch a I don't even know what modern shows are anymore. So I'm dating myself as a really old man and a young man's body. Not so young man's body anymore. So I'll just be... Um, so, you know, we, we've got these, uh, you know, these shows that we watch. And we watch them for the entertainment value, right? There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with, with knowing what's happening in a show. There's nothing wrong with... You know, it, it was mentioned this morning. Chris and Joy are watching Chosen. But, but I would argue that's not... That's not vain. That's worthwhile. They're choosing to put something worthwhile in front of their eyes. I'll be honest. There are often times when I choose to put something completely worthless. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it can lead to something dangerous if you're not careful. There's nothing wrong with, with vegging out in front of the TV on occasion because it's been a long day and it's nice to just turn the brain off. But it's also not productive. And I think we need to recognize that. Recognize that when, when, we, when we do that. Recognize that when we do that, we open up the door to be seeing things that we probably shouldn't be seeing. Things that we shouldn't be entertained by. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 Jesus says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We've got to realize that visual lust is a problem. That when we put before our eyes things that we are going to be tempted by, we're endangering ourselves. And the problem sometimes isn't that you're tempted by this one show, but it opens up the door or it loosens our standards for something else. It sets a precedence for other things that we shouldn't be watching. We need to be very cautious about that. What are we told over in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. Dwell or meditate or think on these things. I'll be honest, my habit is to do as little thinking as possible because it's nice to turn my brain off. Be careful about that. Be careful about letting your eyes become loose. Letting your eyes just... Wonder. Letting your eyes be the kind of eyes that don't look at things with intentionality but just looks at things because they're there. Because when you get into the habit of not being intentional with your eyes, that's when the devil puts things in front of your eyes that are going to tempt them. We've got to be cautious about that. Uh, one of the simple ways is just view women as family. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 2. Paul tells Timothy here in this passage. Uh, starting in verse uh, 1. Do not rebuke sharply an older man. But rather appeal to him as a father. And to younger men as brothers. To older women as mothers. And to younger women as sisters. In all purity. If I am viewing the women around me. And the men around me as family, and I am protective of those men and women the same way I would be protective of my family. If I viewed the young women that I see on the street as daughters or as sisters, and the older women that I have in my life as mothers, and I treated them the same way I treat my sister and the same way that I treat my mother, that eliminates a lot of problems, doesn't it? I guarantee you, I I don't want to see my sister dressed the way I see some of these women on TV and especially some of these women on the Internet. So I should see them as sisters. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Over here, one of the great passages on marriage Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Undefiled marriage bed. If we would value the marriage bed and the marriage relationship, and the marriage bed being that particular part of the marriage relationship, it makes all the difference. It allows us to understand that God has created a way in which we can enjoy that aspect of life, but that aspect of life is not to be enjoyed in any other way outside of the marriage bed. And if that's the way we view people and the way we view the marriage relationship and the way that we focus on good things and we're intentional in our eyes, that solves a lot of issues right from the beginning. Practically speaking, that means learn to bounce your eyes. That means there are going to be things that get put in front of you. We live in a culture of immodest people, do we not? You can't even drive down the road without seeing billboards of tanning bed places and, and, uh, and even the like HVAC places are now putting scantily clad people on their, on their billboards. I mean, it's ridiculous. I was listening to something the other day, and they said two things sell these days, sex and fear. That's it. You're going to use one or the other to sell something. It's hard not to see it. So what you have to train yourself to do is to bounce your eyes like a ball hitting the ground and bouncing right back up. When your eyes see something they shouldn't, turn away. Turn away from it. Get it away from you. Make sure that if not there for you to see again. That's part of what it means to preserve purity and pursue purity. Realize you're going to see temptations everywhere. You, even if you're watching the cleanest show on TV, you still got commercials. Unless you're one of those fancy people with a DVR and you just skip over all the commercials. That's not a bad idea. This is your preacher endorsing getting a DVR so you can skip commercials. Right. I mean, that, that is, it, you're going to have it thrown in front of you. My high school, when I lived up in Maryland, had no enforced dress code. None. When we would have Sadie Hawkins Weeks where you would have theme days, every year there was a beach day. Guess what the women came to school wearing those days? And every, I think they finally enforced you had to wear shorts. But they'd still walk around in bikini tops. And then they also had pajama day. Guess what those same women came wearing on pajama day? Boys would show up in boxer shorts only. It was ridiculous. This was, I'm 41 now, 23 years ago, that's the standard? It is unreal. Those temptations are going to be there. I couldn't just skip school those days. I mean, I guess I could have, but I skipped school too many other days. So, you know, it's one of those, uh, those things were in front of me. What do you do? You learn to bounce your eyes. You learn to look the other way. You learn to be intentional. You learn to value what is beautiful and godly and true and give your attention to those things so that you're not left with nothing to look at, which is when the devil puts bad things in front of your eyes. I'm going to tell you right now, with all the people I have talked to over the years that have struggled with pornography, it is generally not started by a pursuit of, of illicit things to look at. It is started out of boredom. It's generally where it starts. You know what we've told our kids when our kids come to us and they say, Dad, I'm bored. I say, boring people are bored. Go be not boring. If you're a Christian, do you have something you can be doing? All the time. If you got nothing else to do, Go pray. Go read your Bible. I'm not saying you should only pray and read your Bible when you have nothing else to do. It should be a priority in your life. But when you've run out of other things to do, do that again. Focus on God. Think about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and of good report. Whatever has excellence, think on those things. So that you don't have times of boredom. Are times where you fall back into the habit of looking at things you shouldn't. Next step. Step two. Just as as easy to understand. It's this. Run. Run. That that is the step that so many people are unwilling to take. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 starting in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 18. Flee, run from, get out of the room, get as far away as you possibly can from immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you see that? Run, flee. In case that's not clear, you have the same thing said by Paul to Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Now, flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Run! That's what we got to do. I find this whole discussion is wrapped up really firmly and well in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I want to read verse 14 and 15 here. You're, You're familiar with these verses, but I want to kind of pick them apart here like I have them on the screen. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So let me kind of systematize or formulize this idea. We are all created with desires. That's the word lust there. I'm going to use the word desire because we tend to associate the word lust with one particular desire. We all have desires. Right now, I'm on a little bit of a diet. Okay? I desire cookies. This afternoon we had Marshall and Lisa over. She made a big old platter full of homemade chocolate chip cookies, and this afternoon, everybody had scattered, and I'm the only one standing in the kitchen with a platter of homemade chocolate chip cookies sitting right in front of me. Guess what? I wanted one. I wanted one. And you know what? I had the opportunity to get one. No one known. It could have been my little secret decision, right? I could have had that. I could have put it in my mouth, chewed it up, savored it, had eight more, which is the way I normally would do it. And then, then I would have been a happy man. I was tempted. I was tempted to eat one of those cookies. That's how temptation works. You have desire coupled with opportunity. See, here's the thing. If if I'm on this diet and I'm not eating sugary thing, and we have no sugary thing, while I might want something sugary, am I tempted by anything? No, it's not there. There's no opportunity. Or what if it were a plate of something there that I didn't really care for? I don't really like a bowl of carrots. Stick a bowl of raw carrots out there. I'm not eating one. It's not because the opportunity isn't there. It's because the desire isn't there. That's the way temptation works. You have desire and you have opportunity. And when you bring those two things together, you're tempted. That still doesn't mean you've sinned. It's only when you put action to the temptation that you sin. When it comes to pornography, most all human beings have a desire. And the opportunity is abundantly available to every single one of us. And so the devil just has a playing field of temptations laying out there for us. And it might not be pornography. It might be something else. But we, we have temptations placed in front of us all the time. So the simple answer is, either get rid of the desire or get rid of the opportunity right the two simple answers i don't know how to get rid of the desire because that's something we're created with as a good thing god created us with a desire so the way that you get rid of the problem is you get rid of the opportunity you know what that means for some people don't have one of these just get rid of it get one of those old flip things that still has those what do you call them buttons get one of those All Right? i mean that that's a simple answer uh, that, now that's not what most people are willing to do but here's the issue lust pornography these issues they are not automatic problems for every person they are choices some people have given themselves into. They have decided, well, I've got the desire, I have the opportunity, I'm going to bring those two things together and act on it. That's what James says. It is a choice they made to sin. But if you can choose not to, and then choose to eliminate what is creating the opportunities for you to fulfill your desire in a wrong way, then you have just won most of the battle. It's that simple. The question is, how far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go to eliminate the issue? For instance, are you willing to avoid situations that lead to lust, like certain TV shows? You find that man or that woman particularly delightful, don't watch a show with a minute. Just just avoid filling your mind with thoughts of that actress or actor. Or avoid watching movies or that television show whatsoever. Avoid spending alone time with your phone. Do not take your phone to bed if this is a problem in your life. I would dare say that is a wise thing to do anyway. If you're married, it can, get an inter- it can interfere in your marriage. And if you're not married, it's just distracting for the good sleep you're supposed to get anyway. So, so get rid of that. Don't spend alone time with your phone. Place your computer in some sort of public place. Put safeguards on your devices. In our home, we have a Disney circle that limits what our our computers are able to see. And we have a program called Covenant Eyes that actually logs every single place we go. And if I go to a place on my computer that is questionable... My wife is immediately sent an email that allows her to see where I've been and why they flagged it, and she can look at it and decide if it's something she needs to talk to me about because she is my partner in making sure that I keep my heart pure. Shouldn't we all have something like that? It not only blocks me from going to places, but it also allows me to be held accountable. We need things like that, especially if you've got young people in your house who have access to the Internet. Make the temptation as inconvenient as possible because you eliminate the opportunities. That's how to handle this. I'm not saying that fixes the heart. It doesn't. But it allows you to take steps forward in fixing the heart. Do you see that? I mean, these are just practical steps you can take. Busy yourself with worthwhile things. And if you're not growing bored, you will be less tempted. One more step. Last step here is accountability. James chapter 5, verse 16. We've looked at this recently. We'll... Read it again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What we need to understand, do you remember those statistics we looked at at the beginning of the sermon? If you struggle with this, you are not alone in your struggle with this because others have walked the path before you or they are currently walking the path with you. You are only alone in this battle if you choose. To be alone. And I'm going to tell you right now, hands down, the single, only reason you choose to walk through this struggle alone is because of pride. That's it. There was no other reason in the world you choose to fight this battle by yourself. It's because you have a reputation you want to uphold. It's because you want to make sure no one thinks bad about you. You want to make sure that everyone still thinks you're this super good Christian even though you know you're going to go home and fall back into the trap tonight when things are dark and you're staring at a screen. We, brothers and sisters, have to realize we're not alone if we're willing to ask for help. We need prayers. We need guidance. We need support. We need someone who will talk to us and hold us accountable and will check on us and see how we're doing. I tell you, it was so exciting to walk with that one gentleman I mentioned earlier, and he would be able to call and say, hey, Adam, it's been 34 days. Hit a count. It's like listening to someone talk about how many days they've been sober. That's how he felt about his pornography addiction. He would count the days. I remember one time we'd, we'd been working on this for about six months, and all of a sudden his, his job required him to go to a conference in Las Vegas of all places. And he was in tears talking to me about how in the world was he going to handle this. He knew the hotel, had the casino, the women dancing on the tables and all the things that are associated with nighttime life in Las Vegas. He called me from Las Vegas. He says, Adam, because I told him to, I said, if you're struggling, call me. He says, Adam, I haven't had an issue. I said, how's that? He goes, I found out how to get out a back door. And he would inconveniently go out the back door so that he could walk all the way around the building so that he could make sure that he didn't have to see the thing that were placed before the eyes of everybody else. He got home from that, and he was thrilled because six months before, he would have been one of the people paying the fees and living that life. You need, if you struggle with this, whether you would consider yourself an addict or not, if you struggle with this, you need to tell someone you trust. You need to tell someone. You need to set up a regular time to report your status with that person, and it needs to be somebody who not only you trust, but you know they will hold you accountable. They will call you and say, how you doing? You need to tell somebody. Because I'm going to tell you right now, in my years of talking to people and helping people through this, I have not yet ever known someone to beat this problem alone. Ever. It's that hard. The devil has put us in a culture that knows how to make us fail. And if you want to be above this culture and above that type of failure and above these difficulties and these struggles, then you need to take the extra steps to make that happen. Three easy steps, right? Be intentional. Eliminate whatever temptation you can and hold yourself accountable to somebody. Let me give you just three quick things. We need to make sure we're not contributing to the problem with the way that we raise our children. First of all, teach modesty. I have have heard this, this is such a, a byword among young Christians these days. They don't like the idea of modesty. Uh, They like to say, oh, well, those guys should just control their eyes and their thoughts, and guys like to blame the girls and all. I'm, I'm saying this across the board. No regard to male or female. Teach your children modesty. Modesty of dress, modesty of action, modesty of thought. Teach them modesty. You will go a long way in saving them a lot of grief if they value modesty. Teach high standards for entertainment. I don't, that doesn't mean teach them to like the same 80s cartoons that you like. That, I mean, that high standard, I, I, I agree. But my, my point is teach them to value something that is actually worthwhile. Not just vegging out and turning the brain off and and watching stuff that is easy for, for the brain. Teach them to value goodness and truth and loveliness and what is excellent. Teach them those things. Realize that our Christian standard is better than the world standard. And while the world might find their, uh, their entertainment and shows and we want to fit in, we want to be able to have conversations about the latest this show or the latest that show, if you can't watch the show, don't watch the show. And if that means you're left out, be left out. You know, I'm going to tell you why. One day... they're going to be left out of something you have because of the choices they've made here. And if I have to choose between the latest TV show and the gates of heaven, I'm choosing the gates of heaven. Second thing, don't, don't create opportunities for failure. Your life is already full of temptation. Don't make it harder. Don't go looking and browsing and, and flirting with things that are dangerous. Just don't. Stay away. Flee, it says. And if we're willing to flee, if we're really willing to, to run away from the things that are going to cause trouble, we'll do better. And then lastly, don't make confession more shameful than it already is. Somebody needs to come forward or somebody needs to talk to you privately. Or I'm going to go ahead and tell you, because this is such a shameful thing in our culture, uh, I, 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 let me give you an example. I, I taught a class one time to a group of teenagers, and there was probably 25 teenagers in that room. And I gave them an anonymous survey of their experiences regarding sexual temptation and things like that. There were several people in that class that admitted to being sexually active, but not a single one of them ever admitted that they looked at pornography. It was odd to me that statistically, the class matched what the, what the statistics are regarding sexual activity, but they were completely silent on the issue of pornography. This is a, an issue that holds shame. It is a private sin that people really struggle with and find themselves trapped by and they don't want to admit it. It is absolutely humiliating to admit that you struggle with this sin. Don't make it harder for them than it has to be. The goal is to help you, not to shame you. And I'm gonna tell you right now, we've got, we've got elders in this room who are willing to walk with you through this issue. If you're willing to go talk to them, you don't have to come forward. Go talk to them privately. Send them a message this week. Just don't fail to send the message. But we need to make sure that we're not being the kind of Christians who despise people for their sin, but we're willing to rejoice with them because of their repentance. And if we're willing to have that kind of reaction, that kind of trust among ourselves, among brothers and sisters, then we might be able to kick some of these problems that I can guarantee you are plaguing our church even if we're not willing to admit it. This is a problem that can be overcome if we're willing to do the work to overcome it. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. Let me quickly offer an invitation. If you're not a child of God, that, that is always, always, and you hear me say this repeatedly, the first step. Become a child of God. You've got sin in your life, let's get it washed away. But for those of us who, have, who find ourselves becoming a statistic, who find ourselves struggling with a sin that the, that the world struggles with, don't feel alone. Don't be alone. Let's get it fixed. If we can pray for you, if we can help you by baptizing you into Christ, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my key. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast, or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.